It is good to worship together. We're going to be jumping back into 1 Thessalonians together. And just with a, a lot of great things about ministry. As we study the life of Paul. One of the things I want to start with is, one of the things we're going to see this morning is the courage of Paul to keep going in the middle of trials, to keep going when it's hard, that, that he courageously kept pursuing the gospel. And think about people who continue on, right? People that continue on despite the circumstances. I think of Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament, right? And they go out with the spies and they're two of twelve and they inspect the land and they all come back and ten of them were like, this is a no-go. There is no way God can handle these tall people in the land. And, and Joshua and Caleb are like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. We have the God of the universe on our side. Some tall guys with spears don't make a difference. And they stood alone for what God wanted them to say. The people didn't listen to them, but they still stood for what was right. I think of Peter and the apostles in Acts 4 and then in Acts 5 as they're preaching and that they got, get called in in front of the Sanhedrin, the court of the time, the, the rulers of the time. And they're like, stop preaching the gospel. Stop it. You're disrupting things. And they stood and said in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than man. If God wants us to preach, we'll keep preaching. And then Peter, as only Peter could, said, and by the way, you killed the Messiah. But He'll still forgive you if you repent. I mean, the courage and the boldness is extraordinary because he was committed to the message and the author of the message. Jumping ahead to the Reformation, I think of Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was called in to, to the council in the city of Worms. And he's called in and said he needs to recant these heresies of believing God's Word and, and that God's Word says what it does. And he stood in front of them knowing that it's not like our culture where, okay, yeah, you just disagree. Knowing that this had political ramifications, this had life and death ramifications. He said, I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And then the second half of this, that some think he said, some think it was added on. Here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. Courage. Courage to say the right thing, to do the right thing. Where does that come from? If this was a fake gospel, if this was just made up, if this was just something we're doing on our own, courage falls apart in the middle of trial. Courage weakens in the middle of trial. Luther ended up being declared an outlaw. It was declared that he may be killed by anyone without threat of punishment. Not the title or the edict I would want over me. And so this morning we come and we want to look at, okay, why did Paul continue on? Why did Paul continue to preach the gospel in the face of opposition, in the face of beatings, in the face of stonings, in the face of death threats? What was his secret? What was his motivation to still serve and minister for God? You know, we live in a culture where, where we see on TV and, and on podcasts, we see pastors or pretend pastors that are doing this for all kinds of different reasons, right? To get the third jet, to get the fifth house, to get the money, to get the fame. We see all the time the Paula Whites, the Benny Hens, the Bill Johnsons, and, and the, the other false teachers. And so it is so easy to equate ministry with all these bad motives. But today I want to hold up Paul as an example 
of good motives of ministry and why we do what we do for the right reasons. They had false teachers back then too, if you think about it. Uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons why Paul is going to write chapter 2 of First Thessalonians is they had false teachers, and for them, the false teachers would go around from city to city. They'd preach a while, collect a bunch of tithes, collect a bunch of offerings. When the money ran out, they would say, See ya, God is calling me elsewhere. And they would leave and go where the money was. This was common of the time. And so with Paul, if you remember our our intro, with Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were there and they were part of preaching the gospel and, and they founded the church, but because of opposition, because their lives were at risk, they had to be snuck out of the city and so they left abruptly. Well, if you're just the person there, you're thinking, well, here we go again. Another teacher that came, taught for a while. When he got tired of us, he left. But that wasn't the case. And so Paul here wants to give his reason for why he shares the gospel, reason for why he was there, and show what good motivations are, what bad motivations are for ministry. And we can learn so much out of this. Now, as we come to the text, it might be tempting to say, oh, this talks about people that are in ministry. This is a great text for Pastor Ron and Pastor Andrew and Pastor AJ. And hey, we'll even include the deacons and the elders. And I'm going to write down what I think I need to email them. They need to work on. And um, here's the deal. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says, Whatever gifts each of you have received, serve one another. And so this morning we come to this text, realize we are all ministers. We are all to serve each other. And so this gives us some great understandings of what any of our motivation should be. When we come on Sunday, when we care for each other, when we're in any ministry here. And ministry, guys, goes far beyond our, our formal ministries at Village. Ministry might mean how you're reaching your neighbor. It might mean how you're reaching your coworker. It might mean how you just are in prayer for people of the body of Christ. These are all ministries. So what keeps you going in that? What keeps you going even in trials, even in difficulty? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 6. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black hardcover one right under a seat around you. I'd love for you to pull that out, take that, follow along. We'll spend most of our time today in in 1 Thessalonians really tethered to these six verses. And in in chapter 2, Paul here is going to talk about ministry throughout the whole chapter. And for the next today and two more times together, we're going to talk about various aspects of ministry. Today, we're talking about the motivation for ministry, why we do what we do or why we shouldn't do what we we do. Then the next time, we're going to talk about the manner of ministry, what ministry should look like, what our attitude should be, what, what it should feel like. And then finally, Paul's going to talk about the response to ministry. And he's going to thank them and share his heart for how they have responded to his ministry. But today we talk about the motivations for ministry. And Pastor AJ last week finished up chapter 1 for us. And he showed us how Paul was commending them for imitating him and imitating God and for the discipleship that was happening. That's what he's talking about, discipleship. Because then they started passing that on to others, right? It was known everywhere because Thessalonica is this, this town with all the trade routes. It just, it just spread. And this young church was making an impact for the gospel. And so now probably some people are bad-mouthing Paul and probably some of those same oppositions are saying he's just another false teacher. So now he's going to give 
his reasons for being there. Let's read all of 1 through 6, and then we'll break it down a little bit. Starting at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in, in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Lots to unpack here. Lots of great meat as we dig into this. But the first two verses, we're going to start there. The first point that we want to talk about today is don't let frustration, circumstances, or apparent failure stop you from ministry. Don't let frustration, circumstances, or apparent failure stop you from ministry. In these first two verses, Paul says, because I focus on the gospel, because my focus is right, nothing is going to keep me from serving. And oh, may that be our attitude as well. In verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. And, and as, as we break this down, the first letter A there, we need to continue on because ministry is never worthless. See, Paul only got a little bit of time there. And it would have been real easy to say, well, okay, that was a wasted four or five weeks. What's God going to do with my time there? I didn't even get to finish my teaching and instruct them in the faith. But we know that their witness and their testimony was spreading. And so he says, for you yourselves, he's calling on what they observed, what they experienced in his defense. Brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain. And the word for vain there, whenever you see that, it usually means empty or worthless. And he's saying, you know, even though I feel like I got run out of there, even though I feel like I didn't finish the job, like it was a failure, I know that God is using that. I know that that is not worthless. It is not empty. And and, and sometimes we don't see the results of our ministry right away, right? Sometimes we can feel like Paul there, and it's like, okay, I don't know what that, that nine months of Awana even accomplished. Other than herding kids or, you know, trying to herd kittens, I don't know if that made any difference. But yet some of you have had those Awana students come back 10, 15 years later and say that made all the difference in the world. Didn't see it then, but God was using it because God is more interested in our faithfulness to Him than flowery words or numbers or, or, or some self-perceived standard for whether ministry is a failure or not. And Paul's reminding them, it wasn't in vain that we were there. It wasn't empty. See, ministry done in the right way for the right reasons is never worthless. Understand that? Ministry done in the right way for the right reasons is never worthless even if you don't see the results right then. Some of you in this room prayed for relatives of yours for 10, 15, 20 years to come to Christ, and it felt worthless. It wasn't. It wasn't your testimony, and some of those people came to Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is working on His timetable in His way, and we're called to be faithful. It's not worthless 
because the power of effectiveness as ministry isn't up to you and I. That's up to God. If the power comes from us, yeah, it's worthless sometimes because we're tired sometimes. We don't have that much power. But God uses what we, what we minister. He takes that and plants seeds and waters and it grows. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. Notice it doesn't say, For I am the power of God for salvation. No, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so, so we know from God's word that the power of ministry is who we're ministering for and the message. And Paul here has that so clearly in his head. And so he says, I continued on because ministry is never worthless. It's not in vain. And then he goes on to talk about what he's going through. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, and if you remember, they were just coming from Philippi, just down the road, they came down the trade route, and, and in Philippi, they were arrested, they were beaten, they were thrown in prison. They sang hymns at night, and it was great, and, and the prison opened up, the jailer came to know the Lord. They ended up being run out. They were shamed as Roman citizens to have these things happening to them. It was not your, your pleasant Hawaiian vacation in, in Philippi. And, and, and I could just see if, if, if I went through something like that, I'd be like, oh, praise God he got me out of there. I just need to recuperate. I need some rest. And, and not Paul. What does Paul do? He says, come on, Timothy. Come on, Silas. You know, Thessalonica is just like 20 miles down the road. Let's do it all over again. What kind of motivation allows you to do that? And it's his focus on the gospel. He says, though we've been already suffered, we've been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict because it followed them to Thessalonica. It didn't get easier, but they were determined not to let anything, any circumstance, any trial stop them from ministering for Christ. What a testimony of these men. They pushed through their current trials and, and let her be there. Push through past hurts and current trials and serve anyway. It's worth it. It's a priority. Don't let anything stop you from ministry. See, there's nothing like difficulties not to stop ministry, but to test our motives for ministry. It reveals our motives for ministry. I had one coach that used to say, you know, the saying is competition builds character. And one of my coaches said, no, 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 competition reveals character. Unfortunately, that's true. <laughs> and he revealed some things I had to work on. Probably still do if you played ball with me or something. <laughs> Trials reveal our motives for ministry. Do we give up? Do we stop? I haven't seen the results I wanted. Things are going poorly. You know what? There's something better to do. But Paul's example is we keep going. We keep serving. Even through much conflict, through strong opposition. The idea is an athlete struggling when he doesn't want to continue. But he continues. And I'm challenged by that. I'm challenged with the question, what what would it take for me to stop ministry? What what would it take for you to stop ministry? And and I'm not saying we're trying to stop you from ministry, but what circumstances would finally make you say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. This is hard. 
I need to focus back on home and I need to focus back on myself and we need to set ministry aside. Or are we still willing to sacrifice for ministry because it is far more important than anything else to minister for our Lord and Savior? Paul's example here is fruitful for us. And finally, he says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. And we need to be bold for the gospel. This comes back to our motivation. His motivation was the gospel. And the word for boldness there is we dared to do something that, and we wouldn't stop. Nothing would stop us. And, and it includes the idea both of, of courage moving forward, but also of confidence in the message and in the God, in, in who God is. And so it's, it's not empty courage that says, oh, I'm going to run off a cliff and be okay. It, it's, it's this courage that says, I know who God is and I trust him. And so no matter the circumstances, I'm going to be bold. Now, now maybe the temptation when he came into Thessalonica was, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to share the gospel again, but we're going to reword it a little bit. We're going to repackage it so people aren't so upset because my wounds are still healing. I don't get the sense that Paul did that at all. Paul preached the word and preached it as strongly as ever. If anything, that gave him more motivation to be more direct. And he was run out again a few weeks later. But God used that to start a church and to start a movement that spread throughout Asia Minor. He didn't water down the gospel. He continued ministry. Oh, this speaks to his heart. A heart for the gospel that is above circumstances, that is above inconvenience, that is above hurt, that is above pain. That is the example we talk about this morning. How do we do that? How do we get that kind of of heart and some of it is the introspection, asking ourselves, what is, where is my heart? Do I have a heart for needs of ministry and needs of people I'm ministering to? Or is my heart more inclined to my own needs and what I need to accomplish and what I need to have met? Uh, that's part of the question here. I, I think one of the other things from Paul's example in Philippians and other places is this kind of boldness doesn't happen on our own. He, he asked the church to pray for him for boldness in Philippians. He said, pray for boldness that I may share the gospel. And, and over and over, he is seeking God for courage here. So we need to be praying to God for courage. Help me to be bold for the gospel to people that don't know you. Help me to be bold and minister even when I don't feel like it or it doesn't seem possible. You know, part of putting this into practice is then taking that next step and actively looking for opportunities to share Christ. Remember your one, the stick figure that many of you put on on our board a a year or two ago. Remember to keep praying for that person. Keep reaching out to that person. And then start with small steps of boldness. Just small steps of boldness. If there's a cashier you see every week, this week, what if as you're getting your groceries and leaving, say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? And just see how they respond. It's a small step of boldness that I, I don't know that I've ever seen someone respond negatively to that question. But we start to take steps to act on our faith, to serve, that, that are just not even considering our fear or our circumstances. Because our focus, we are here to do God's work. And so don't let frustration, circumstances, or apparent failure stop you from ministry. Instead, focus on the gospel. It's worth it. 
Then we get into some of the motivations here. And, and Paul's going to give us three negative motivations for ministry, things he's not doing. He's going to give his main point and then three more things he's not doing. So it's sort of like the sandwich where, where the, the bread is the things that we're not to let motivate us or not to let creep into ministry. And the center point, the meat of it, is really his main point of why he's doing ministry. So in verse 3, we get the first piece of bread on the sandwich. The three things to not have part of ministry. Godly ministry is not tainted by error, our own agendas, or manipulation. Let me repeat that. Point number two. Godly ministry is not tainted by error, our own agendas, or manipulation. Now, we we could spend some... uh, we, we, We will spend a little bit of time on each one. We could spend a whole message on each of these if we wanted to. But it's really interesting to see he starts with some of the things that just should not even creep into ministry. Error, impurity, attempts to deceive. If you look, if you have an ESV study Bible, and I love study Bibles because you can look down at the notes and you can understand a little bit more. And, and they, they give um, this for, for this verse. It says faulty, uh, that we should stay away from faulty message, impure motives, or dubious methods. That's great definitions of those words right there. Don't be afraid to use your study notes and to read and to study. And so he gives three things. The first is our motives. It doesn't spring from, it shouldn't spring from faulty message or error. And and the word here can mean either deceit as in lying or simply error because we got it wrong. And and the example here from Paul is, is as we minister, especially those of you that are teaching, whether it be from from our littlest ones to our oldest ones, if you're teaching, it is important to try to accurately discern and and interpret God's Word. That is vital. And so we spend time in study. We spend time researching to try to the best of our abilities to make sure when we handle God's Word, we accurately handle God's Word. Now, I am not saying that we are perfect at this. There's been times that people have come to me and said, what, what about this? I hadn't read that. I hadn't thought about that. And, and, and we have to understand we are not God. We are men and women. And we could get it wrong. And then, then we refine each other and iron sharpens iron. But to the best of our ability, are we sharing truth? And Paul is saying, our, our message didn't spring from error. We weren't just teaching something that wasn't true to get your, your fame, to get your approval We were teaching the truth of the Word of God. And he goes on, and the second one is, or impurity. And and the word for impurity, you can think it's like polluting with something dirty, right? And and so I I have water up here, and I'm not going to do anything weird to it because I need the water. But um, this is nice water. I can drink this water. But if one of you was to come and take a handful of dirt and put in it, I'm not drinking it anymore because now it's impure. The whole thing is left with impurity. And so Paul is saying, we worked hard to not let anything else creep into our message, to not let anything else creep into our, our ministry that would violate the message of the ministry and, and, and who God is and the gospel. And, and so one of the ways to think of this and what I put in the notes is, they didn't let their own agendas come into play. They just let God's agenda come out. They were just there ministering for God. They didn't have their own ideas and mix it with their own pet issues, which can happen so often. It's one of the reasons why we teach through books of the Bible. So you're not just getting Pastor Ron's pet issues every week. 
you're getting a, a whole teaching of God's word. And we're going to teach whatever issues come up in it. And Paul is saying, don't let impurity creep into ministry. There's also the idea of not letting sin creep in there. Because the messenger, the minister, is part of the message. And if I'm up here teaching God's word, it doesn't even really matter if I'm living a life of sin at home during the week. That will disrupt the message. That will disrupt my, my ministry at home. It will change ministry. And so Paul is saying, not only did we work hard to get it right, no error, but we, we worked to keep impurity at bay. It wasn't our motives. It wasn't our agenda. It wasn't sin coming into this or our own compromises. And so he's really saying he was genuine and true, right? And, and that is so important in ministry to be genuine and true as we minister. The third one he mentions is any attempt to deceive. So our appeal, our ministry, we weren't trying to deceive you. We weren't trying to get your favor. And, and he's going to go into that more in the, in the last three. But it's this idea, the word here is, is like the bait in fishing. To where I'm going to give you just a little bit that you'll like. And I'm going to, to tailor the message to what you like to bring you in so I can hook you and so I can do with you what I will. Paul's saying that wasn't us. That's what the, the false teachers are doing, but that is not us. There is no bait and switch here. We're going to teach the gospel. We're, we're not going to take advantage of people through underhanded methods. We're not going to trick you into to somehow serving God and, and trick you into somehow believing a falsehood so we can build a bigger church. No, we are going to teach God's word well, is what he's saying. And we're going to stay true to that. See, it can be so easy to teach a cheap grace, right? A, that grace and salvation are free, and so they're easy, and you just say a little prayer and you're good, and then you can live how you want. But while grace is free, grace is not easy or cheap. Because when God comes into your heart, He wants to take your heart and turn it to Him and refine it, and redeem it to himself, and cleanse it. And that is not always a fun process. But it's a beautiful process. It's an incredible process to become more Christ-like. And so Paul is saying there is no trickery here. There is no cunning. There is treachery. You know, you see it. You can turn on the, the... radio or the tv and and you can see a a number of people that are preaching if you come to christ and he'll heal all your sickness in this world in fact he's already healed it because by his stripes you are healed i've heard that so many times and it is such a misunderstanding of god's word and taking it out of context because that's speaking spiritually of our sin and that's speaking ultimately of our time with god in heaven and we promise these things that god never promises I'll heal your sickness. You'll have prosperity. If you just give a little bit more, you can even have more prosperity. It's an awesome, it's an awesome deal. And these are the things Paul is talking about, about manipulation, attempts to deceive. You know, words of knowledge, promising things to you, promising a good life, promising to make you feel good. All of that is intentional hooks to bring you into false teaching. You know, we've seen a lot of news of Bethel in the news lately. A lot of words. And I just have to say right up front, and I know that there are all kinds of links there. You need to know that that is false teaching. 
and that what is happening up there is, is I, I would actually, as I've done research, would consider it a cult at this point. And we need to be careful because they are teaching that things like God will always heal and if, if not, then your faith is deficient. They are teaching that you need to give more money and give more money and that God will somehow prosper you. And they, it is all based on feeling good and, and they use the word Holy Spirit a lot. This is false teaching because they are not teaching accurately what God is saying. And, and I am watching people I know and love get sucked into this. Village, we have to look at the message. We have to look at the motives. One of the things that they said in one of their classes about how to give a word of knowledge is whatever you say, it has to be sweet, kind, and make the person feel good. No sense of whether it's true or not. No sense of whether it's from the Holy Spirit. I won't even get to all the things that, that I read and ways this was tried and tested. God's Word doesn't always feel good. You know, there's times I read God's Word and I'm weeping because it's revealing stuff in my life that's junk that I need to deal with. God's Word says you are going to experience trials and suffering in this world. Which is why we look forward to another world. This is why we look forward to the kingdom of God. It's why we have to trust God. Oh, village, don't fall into the deceptions that are out there. No matter how good the music is, no matter how compelling the speaker is, test it with truth. And Paul is saying, our ministry was genuine and true. We worked to keep out error we, we watched that it wasn't tainted with our own agendas and our own impurities that we're not manipulating you. And then in point number three, he gets to the core of this passage, to why he does what he does. And point number three is effective ministry is motivated by a desire to please God. It's that simple. Effective ministry is motivated by a desire to please God. In verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And, and you see in there that he, he, he gets down to his heart. I love it because he bears this out in his example over and over and over. He says, just as we've been approved by God, that he has picked us, that he has chosen us for ministry, that he has entrusted us with the best message in the world a life-changing message of the gospel. So we speak, because he's done all these things, we speak not to please man, but to please God. And that's the crux of where we go wrong in ministry, I think. We so many times drop into, I've got to please man, and we forget that doesn't matter, we're pleasing God. That is what matters. Pleasing God is the ultimate, the ultimate of why we do what we do. And that word there is to give pleasure to God or for God to be satisfied and content in us. I don't know why, but that sort of gives me chills. To think that I can work to please God and he will be satisfied and content in me as I do ministry for the right reasons in the right way. Oh, what a, what a precious thing. And Paul says, that's it. That's above all else. Now, now, we, we have to nuance this a little bit because Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he, he says, I do all things to please other people in order that, or I do things to please other people in order that some may come to God. 
both of these are true, right? Same author, same guy. And he's saying, my, my big picture is to please God, but that makes me want to love others. And that makes me want to share the gospel in a way that it's going to bring as many people into the kingdom as possible. In the first Corinthians passage, he, he is not saying, and he, he spells that out, he is not saying to compromise the gospel. He is not saying that he waters down the gospel, but he's saying in the context of wanting to please God in everything he does, that's what gives him the ability to love others and to reach out to them in a way that they will hear. Our, our desire, our ultimate desire for all we do should be to please God. And that's going to keep coming up in First Thessalonians. It's why our title is A Life Pleasing to God. And so he doesn't, he doesn't water down the message to please man. He doesn't have to say, well, I am going to do whatever people like because more people will come. And this is, this is the huge problem with the whole seeker movement that, that rose in the 90s and we still see happening today where churches are saying, I'm not going to preach the gospel as much on Sunday morning because I want more people to come. And we're going to make it more entertaining so more people can come. But the problem is they're coming and they're not hearing the gospel and it's a waste of a Sunday morning. Because we are called to teach the truth of Scripture. Now, I'm not saying make church as boring as possible. Because we're going to test you. We're going to see if you really love God. You're going to hate it next week, so please come. No, that's not what I'm saying. Does that make sense? We, we, we are to teach, and Paul, I think it's that same balance of Paul pleasing God first and then loving others second. We want to present in a way that's winsome and appealing. We want to worship and have excellence in what we do to bring quality, to bring glory to God. But ultimately, I don't care if, if I please man. I care if I please God. And if pleasing you with a nicer service displeases God, we aren't going there. And I know that's not popular to say in this day and age, in our consumer mindset and culture. But let's please God and see what that draws. Because I am convinced that people that are genuinely being drawn by the Holy Spirit will love a church that loves God and that follows His Word and studies His Word. So Paul says, I'm not trying to please man, but to please God. And he gives, a, he gives a great reason. Who tests the heart? He's the one that gives the grade in the end. He's the one that's doing the evaluation. So I want to please him. We need to keep reminding ourselves of this because it's so easy to fall into people pleasing. I have to fight it all the time. Well, if I just word this this way, then they won't be so mad. Now, again, I'm not saying you worded intentionally to make them mad. There's a place for tact and being polite and and presenting the truth in love, which is in Ephesians, also written by Paul. You have to take all of these together. But are we willing to say the truth? Are we willing to pursue God? Paul's desire models what our desire should be is my highest desire to please God. And maybe another way of thinking of it, is there anything else in life that would make me happier? And sometimes, yeah, there is. Man, I wish I could do this or wish I could do this. You know, I I think of it personally. Is is my greatest desire for, for us to be out of the medical situation we're in? Or is my greatest desire that we as a family please God? 
That is not an easy question to answer. I got to say, that's a question we wrestle with. This, this is not just, oh yeah, it's to please God and everything's hunky-dory. No, there are times, you, and you wrestle with it too. But ultimately, it's about pleasing God and doing his work. One author wrote, I love this quote, seeking to serve Christ alone will set him, settle many conflicts of interest. It's just real practical. Seeking to serve Christ alone will settle many conflicts of interest. Amen? Because it gives us our focus. It gives us our goal. And finally, point number four, the last point as we look at the last two verses. Godly ministry does not expect, demand, or seek self-benefits from those we serve. Godly ministry does not expect, demand, or seek self-benefits from those we serve. It must not be motivated by what we can get from others, how we can get others to like us, what they will give us, or how they will lift us up. Those cannot be motivations for ministry. They always detract from ministry and lead to problems in ministry. Now, I'm summarizing the three points that that Paul says in these verses, so let's dig into those. For we never came, and, and the word for never there is a stronger word, not at any time. This never was the case, he's saying. We never came with words of flattery, he deals with first. Words that would get people to like us, saying nice things to gain influence over others, usually for selfish reasons. Or he's coming back to tailoring the truth to fit the opinions of hearers. He says, no, we didn't do that. We weren't pretending to love you. When I say I'm thankful for you for spreading the gospel, I'm not lying. He's saying, this is, we did not flatter you. We spoke truth to you. See, flattery, if you think of flattery, it is never for the other's best interest. It is always for my own interest, right? Either to gain something or to avoid hurt or, or, or somehow to, 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 to gain a benefit from this. You know, maybe it's personal favor. Maybe it's favors. Maybe we're hoping they'll do some things for us. Maybe we have some things we need to ask them to do for us. Maybe it's their admiration we're looking for. And flattery, we can fall into this. Now, again, the balance here is that doesn't mean we don't truthfully encourage people. Oh, we, we get all over the place, love one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. But flattery is not for the other person. It's not to build them up. It's, it's something for me. It's something personal. And it's usually lying. And so Paul said, we didn't come with flattery. And we have to be careful not to do that in our ministry. To mean what we say. Say what we mean. Second thing he mentions, he says, we didn't come with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. He's, he's very strong here because, again, the false teachers would flatter, they would want the money, and they would leave. And so he, he's combating and saying, we were different. The pretext for greed, some translations are some, it can be translated a mask for greed. Somehow putting on a pretense because I just want to get something from you. And so in ministry, when we are ministering to each other, and I need to speak especially to those of you in leadership, we do not serve to get something from people. That can never be our motivation. In fact, we should intentionally stay as far from appearing that way as we can. That makes sense? I can remember growing up, and my dad's here, I'll embarrass him a little bit. Uh, I can remember growing up, uh, my dad was, was in management at a, a traffic signal company, 
And as all schools did back then, I don't, I'm, it's a little different now, we, we had candy bars to sell a couple times a year, right? Anyone sell candy bars for your school or your kids? Yeah, okay. And they always said, well, have your dad take him to work. And, and so we, we'd get home and um, I'd say, Dad, can you take this to work and ask the guys to buy them? He's like, nope. He was kinder than that probably. He, he's like, no, son, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, Dad... You got a kid, junior, no, never mind. Don't do this, junior hires and, and high schoolers that are here. Dad, don't you love me? <laughs> don't you want me to not be embarrassed at school? He's like, no, son, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, why not? He goes, you don't understand. I'm a leader there. I'm in management there. there the, the people under me will feel obligated to buy that. And I will not put them in that position. But... You can get off the couch and you can take the box around the neighborhood and you can earn it. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Guess what? He loves me. But he was so concerned about not misusing a place of authority and a place of leadership that he went over and beyond to make sure he wasn't asking and demanding and expecting things from those he was with. Paul is talking about that here when he says not as a pretext for greed. The word sometimes is seeking more, thinking we deserve more than is our due. And and he didn't go there. He didn't say, I care so much about you and will you support me? And can I get this from you? In fact, what did Paul do everywhere he went to not be a burden? He worked. He built tents. That wasn't because he couldn't ask. It wasn't mean that he shouldn't have support. And he did accept support when it was offered. We know twice when he was at Thessalonica, the Philippians sent him support, probably saying, sorry, you got beat up in our town. But no. Um, <laughs> and, and so he accepted support, but it wasn't demanded. Do you see the difference? It, it wasn't expected. And, and he went out of the way to make sure that there wasn't an obligation to do that. Because that would taint the ministry. That would taint the gospel. God forbid if any of us are ministering to other people and they think the only reason we are is for what we can get. What do you think they think of the gospel at that point? Oh, the gospel is, is key. It's primary. Let nothing distract from that. Paul goes on. And th- these These are just very convicting verses. Not as a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And this one is, he's not seeking fame. He's not seeking um, for people to lift him up. Praise from people is one of the ways that this is translated. So I know we, we weren't seeking that. Sometimes we get in ministry and we get down about it and we have, we, we just... Man, if I was affirmed in ministry, I I could go on. Paul's saying, no, you don't need that. You don't need people to affirm you because you're pleasing God. That's transferring to pleasing man. Do you see the difference? You're pleasing God. And so know that your ministry is not in vain if it's done for God, verse 1, and it pleases God, verse 4. And so you don't need to seek the praise from others. It's like we weren't seeking praise from you. Now, that doesn't mean that encouraging one another is bad again. You have to understand, don't take the pendulum on all these things to the extreme and say, ah, we should never encourage one another. 
No, we should, but we shouldn't expect it. Don't fish for compliments. We do this, right? I do this at home sometimes. And, and I'm working on this. When, when I get... I love you all, but my wife's opinion of, of the message is more important. <laughs> and, and there are times where I think, okay, that was a good message. And, and on the way home, I'm like, so what'd you think? And you know what? There are times where I'm thinking in my head, that was, that was a stinker. <laughs> that was, I, I don't know if anyone's going to come back next week. And you know what? I don't ask her those weeks. <laughs> Just as a moment of transparency here, <laughs> um, that happened a few weeks ago and I didn't ask. And, and later in the day, she brought it up and was encouraging. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, but man, we shouldn't be seeking reputation. We shouldn't, shouldn't be seeking prestige. We don't, if, if, if that's our need, then our need is to please people. See, the word here that I've been using all along, the, the word of ministry and servant, it's the idea of that's who we are. We are servants. We don't just serve to get some reward. We are servants. And quite frankly, servants don't expect anything. It's who we are. And he even says at the end of verse 6, we could have made some of these demands. I could demand your praise, he says. Not, not me, but him. I could demand your praise as an apostle. I could demand you listen to me. I could demand you support me. I have rights. And Paul's saying, for the sake of pleasing God, no. I would give all those up. It's not what he did. So how are we going to serve? How are we going to minister to each other? Paul gives a number, like I said, six different negative reasons to minister. But this morning I want to focus on the positive one, the central point. He served to please God because God redeemed us. Because God, while we were still sinners, sent his son to die for us and extend us grace that we don't deserve. To extend us mercy to not get the punishment we do deserve. And he reaches and he grabs us and he pulls us in and adopts us as sons and daughters through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross as he hung there to pay the price for our sins. Oh, if we think about it, how could we not want to please him? Who else has done that kind of thing for you? No one. And so we live to please God and trust him with whatever circumstances we're in. Lord God, our Father, we praise you. We thank you for adopting us as sons and daughters of the King, for making us family, Lord. Lord, we proclaim by by eating and drinking that we remember what you've done, that our desire is to please you in all we do, and that we want to be about your business, about what you would have us do. Lord, make that our priority this week. In your precious name, amen.